A great philosopher of the internet once said, always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. Always be Batman. While neither of us are Terry McGinnis and will likely never be Batman, we can live vicariously through him and his many comic adventures. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. My name is John. My name is Dylan. And this is episode 137, Nightwing Razor's Edge. So as normal, we're going to start off with our summary. We're going to be uh, talking about the events of the book, and we'll go into our uh, educationality and then our discussion points. Snow covers the streets of Bloodhaven, and Nightwing remarks that it's too cold for crime, while he watches children sledding on a frozen lake. When one of the children falls through the ice, he dives in and rescues the kid. This exposure gives Dick a cold, which carries over to his day job as a policeman. On television, Dick sees Redhorn has returned to Bloodhaven is making grandiose claims about re- reinstating the order of law. On patrol, he and his partner encounter an abused woman running from her boyfriend. The woman sheepishly says that everything is okay and she goes back home with her abuser. As they depart, Dick, visibly upset, is talked down by his partner, Ames, who, has, who takes notice of how adamant Dick is. Nightwing, after his patrol is up, pays a visit to the abuser, demanding he leave and never come back. Blockbuster, meanwhile, assembles a crew of assassins and criminals that he has used in the past, and places them against a man calling himself Shrike. Shrike handily defeats all challengers, proving his mettle to Blockbuster. Meanwhile, Dudley Soames and Tad Ryerstead sit in jail together discussing how they were wronged by Nightwing and Blockbuster. Dudley informs Ryerstad that he has a plan to escape, and it involves former villain now prison guard Amygdala. Ryerstad fakes an overdose seizure while Dudley researches what medication Amygdala is on and what can counteract or negate it. Nightwing goes to visit Barbara Gordon, and they share a romantic exchange. Meanwhile, Trike reveals to Blockbuster that he has a history of Nightwing. While Nightwing is in the shower, Dinah a.k.a. Black Canary, stops in and accidentally walks in on him. Dinah teases Barbara about the encounter. Back out on patrol, Nightwing encounters a group of ninjas. He pursues them, but is captured in a barbed net by Shrike. Shrike takes him back, unmasks him, and begins running Nightwing's fingerprints to ascertain his true identity. This alerts Barbara, who sends a false identity to Shrike. The ninja henchmen rifle through Nightwing's garb and trigger a shocking defense mechanism, stunning them long enough for Nightwing to break free. Barbara and Dinah make their way to Nightwing's location using a tracker Barbara had placed on Dick. Shrike, believing he has Nightwing's identity, goes to confront Dick only to find him free from his restraints, and the two begin to fight. Just as the battle begins to turn in Shrike's favor, Black Canary throws several sound grenades deafening Shrike, his henchman, and Nightwing. Canary and Nightwing make for an escape, but Shrike finds them, wraps a chain around Canary's neck, and throws it into a turbine, slowly choking her. Nightwing is able to free her and gains the upper hand. Just as he is about to kill Shrike, Dinah stops him, and he simply incapacitates the villain. Barbara shows up as Nightwing collapses. She takes Nightwing back to his apartment, and once he wakes up, she kisses him. Nightwing recovers enough to return to work 
and as Officer Grayson, Dick is promoted to a full cop. To celebrate, Ames invites him over to her place for dinner. Upon arrival, he finds that Ames is married with kids, much to his surprise. The next day on patrol, when issuing a ticket to a, for blocking a hydrant, they are offered a bribe. In the car afterwards, Ames presses whether he finds it acceptable to take bribes. Sensing that she might be recruiting for, more, for the more corrupt element of the Bloodhaven PD, he goes along with it after a bit of hesitation, and she, meet, she invites him to meet some people after their shift. They go to a church at night, and, believing that he has infiltrated the criminal elements of the cops, is initiated, only to find that they are the few good cops that are clean and are working to expose the corruption. That concludes our summary portion. Next, we have educationality. This is where we talk about some of the vocabulary or terms or history that are presented in the book. And we have some good ones in this one. This was a fun one to research. (laughs) The first one we have is in issue 52, and this is the Klopman Diamond, which Catwoman is trying to steal in that issue. It is a fabulous, legendary, apocryphal, and huge diamond said to have a curse associated with it. So you threw a word in there, apocryphal. So that's uh, works usually written that are of unknown authorship or of doubtful authenticity or not part of canon. Yeah, and the place I mostly see Apocrypha is in in uh, the Catholic Bible with the, uh, I think it's four books that are not part of the regular Bible, so they are not part of the canon, as which would be that portion of the definition. In this case, um, I believe they're, they're saying that uh, it's of doubtful authenticity, the uh, curse well, on the yeah, I mean, Diamond. <laughs> Curses usually are, except in the Batman universe. Uh, in issue 54, we have another uh, vocabulary word there, pompous. Uh, Blockbuster uses this word in describing Redhorn, and pompous means uh, irritatingly grand, solemn, or self-important, which I think is a fair depiction of Redhorn. It really is. Basically, someone who's completely full of themselves would be described as pompous. We also have Shrike, which is the... Main, I guess is the main antagonist in this book. In this yeah, story. we've got two sections there. So why don't you handle the bird and I'll yeah. handle the villain. All right. So the bird is mostly a Eurasian or African bird, but there are two breeds in North America, loggerhead and great gray varieties. They live in open habitats, especially steep steppes and savanna. They are medium-sized birds, approximately 20 inches long. They feed on insects and small vertebrates, by impaling them on thorns and using that to help them tear their prey into smaller pieces. Uh, and that leads us into Shrike as the villain of this story. The Shrike mentioned in this story as having been killed was the uh, third character in DC Comics to use that name. He was a student of Ra's Ghoul in the Vengeance Academy, and this took place during uh, Robin Year One, I believe. Uh, Dick joined the Academy after his nearly disastrous encounter with Two-Face, and Batman had stripped him of his Robin identity. Shrike was the person to teach Dick how to use the Eskrema sticks, and that was the uh, third version of Shrike. And then in this story, we had the fourth version of Shrike, who was the um, apprentice to the third version of Shrike, and then when he was killed, took up the mantle. And uh, the, the way this fits in with the bird is Shrike likes to use um, blades and, uh, and pointy objects to impale his villains or his enemies, much like the bird impales its prey. Yep, so a very fitting name for the character. A surprisingly well-researched villain name at that. Yeah, exactly. All right, in issue 55, we have Damascus Steel. Shrike accuses Lady Vic of using this type of blade. First used in Indian, and then later by Middle Eastern sword makers, 
It was developed in South India before the Common Era. The blades have a distinctive pattern of mott line reminiscent of flowing water. They have a reputation for being strong, resistant to shattering, and capable of being sharpened to a sharp, resilient edge. Modern methods have not been able to reproduce the blades. They have been rumored to be able to cut through a rifle barrel, a myth debunked by on Mythbusters, or slice through a human hair. National Geographic in 2006 found the blades had carbon nanotubes in them, which was a byproduct of the organic material used in the smelting process. The origin of the term Damascus steel is unknown. It could come from the sword being sold in Damascus, or from the similar appearance to Damask fabrics, which did derive their name from Damascus. And uh, this was the blade that Lady Vic was, was using, and then the blade that Shrike was using to cut through that was the Miramasa blade, which uh, that may sound familiar to you, Dylan. Miramasa. Yeah, is that what Wolverine? Yep. 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 We'll get to that here in a second. But there's a history to this blade that uh, Marvel has borrowed from, and that looks like DC is as well. Uh, Miramasa Sengo was the famous swordsmith who founded the Miramasa School and lived during the 14th to 16th century in Japan. He is believed to have a violent and ill-balanced mind verging on madness, and that was rumored to have passed into the blades, which would hunger for blood. This is believed to compel the warriors to commit murder or suicide. The blades were popular in the 1500s, but when Tokugawa Ieyasu became shogun in 1603, he banned the blades, having lost many friends to them, and also injured himself badly with one. So there's uh, two uh, blades in the Marvel Universe, and it's uh, mostly related to Wolverine. They're, the blades are believed to be able to stop the healing factor. So that ties in when Wolverine's son, Dokken, not the band. But Dokken's such a good band. <sighs> and that's why John doesn't like music. <laughs> that's, there's proof positive, everyone listening, that John absolutely hates music. That was, that was said ironically. By sure you. it was, sure. I, I saw the sincerity in your eyes. I'm pretty sure that's a Dawkins song. <laughs> I saw the sincerity in your eyes. If I don't, not, we're going to get him to write it. Yes, it sounds perfect for Dawkins. But oh, anyway, yeah. So at one point, Dawkins uh, has the blades melded with one of his claws, and then Wolverine, because Dawkins has a very strong vendetta against his father, and Wolverine cuts the claw out and hides it or whatever he does with it. But yeah, so there's two. Uh, Miramasa swords in the Marvel Universe, and they're closely tied with Wolverine being Wolverine's has that healing factor. They're supposed to be able to kill the healing factor, and Wolverine having a lot of uh, ties to Japan. Yeah, and they are used much more heavily in Marvel as evidenced by that that story that you just relayed, much more so than DC. So number uh, in issue 57, we have Narcum and Librium. They're uh, the drugs given to Tad while overdosing, quote-unquote. Narcan is a narcotic drug that reverses the effects of narcotic medicines. Librium is used to treat anxiety disorder and withdrawal symptoms due to alcoholism. So they're basically trying to, at this point, Tad, we believe he's acting. Uh, there's a line in there that Soames gives, something along the lines of, when you went bad, the world lost a great actor. So he's mostly faking. I yeah, believe. and I believe Tad confirms that afterwards when he's complaining about feeling bad after being injected with those drugs for with faking the overdose. So yeah. it's pretty clear he wasn't actually overdosing, but they didn't know that, so they yeah. gave him these drugs. And in 58, they actually say they gave him a different drug. They say they gave him Dilantin. 
Dilantin is an anti-epileptic drug, also called an anticonvulsant. It works by slowing down impulses in the brain that cause seizures. So uh, that makes more sense than than uh, what was the other one they gave them? Uh, uh, Narcan and Librium. Yeah, I think that makes more sense than uh, Narcan or maybe Librium. I don't know. Uh, maybe they did all three, but yeah, they uh, th- that one makes more sense if they believe them having a seizure from an overdose. In issue 59, we have Chimer Rouge, which uh, Ming is a colonel from this location. It's a French for red chimers. It was the name given to followers of the communist part of Kampuchi in Cambodia. It was formed in 1968 as an offshoot of the Vietnam People's Army from North Vietnam. It was the ruling party in Cambodia from 75 to 79. The organization is remembered especially orchestrating the Cambodian genocide, which resulted from the enforcement of its social engineering policies. Its attempts at agricultural reform led to widespread famine, while its insistence on absolute self-sufficiency, even when the supply of medicine led to the deaths of thousands from treatable diseases such as malaria. Arbitrary execution and torture carried out by its cadres against perceived subversive elements or during purges of its own ranks between 1975 and 1978, are considered to have constituted genocide. The organization Khmer Rouge was largely dissolved in the mid-90s and finally surrendered completely in 1999. In 2014, two Khmer Rouge leaders, Non Che and Kyu Sampan, were jailed by a UN-backed court for life, which found them guilty of crimes against humanity, and responsible for the deaths of up to 2 million Cambodians, nearly a quarter of its country's then population during the Killing Fields era between 1975 and 1979. Yeah, that's a dark one. That's a dark piece of history, but we have to know these dark pieces of history. Yeah, so we can hopefully prevent them from occurring again. So, yeah, there's your history lesson for today. A little bit of dark in there, but some uh, history. And now we get the geography lesson here with Kowloon, which was also mentioned in this issue. It's an urban area in Hong Kong comprising the Kowloon Peninsula and New Kowloon. It has a population of 2 million people and a population density of 43,000 people per square kilometer in 2006. The peninsula's area is approximately 47 square kilometers, and together with Hong Kong's island, it contains 48% of Hong Kong's total population. That's, that's really dense. Yeah, incredibly dense. That's just nuts. All right, in issue 60, we have Cabal, which is referring to the corrupt cops. It's a secret political clique or fashion, a faction. So uh, Cabal is just a group, a secret group. Yeah, and that's a term I've heard a lot of times, but I hadn't actually looked up the definition. I knew the definition. I've, I've seen it used a lot, but that's a, that's a conversation for a different time. That was uh, that was Education Alley. Thanks for taking a stroll with us down there. That leads us to the bad things. These are things that John and I didn't like. We found particularly bad or lacking or things that just didn't click with us. The only one we really have, the overarching one, uh, talking point for this is the domestic violence situation. Yeah, I found this troublesome just in how they d- depict it. I mean... We saw in the summary there w- what what occurred where they, they basically just let them go and said they couldn't do anything as the police. And uh, what I, I really would have liked to seen them do is get her some resources, get her some um, like uh, uh, an, a domestic violence helpline or a, a counseling agency to, to help her deal with her situation and escape it if she so desired. 
And uh, we didn't see anything like that. And I mean, neither of us have ever been policemen, so I really don't know what the cops are allowed to do and what they can do in this situation. Obviously, if she says she's not uh, pressing charges, they have to let her go. They right, they have to back. let him go because, because they didn't yeah. actually observe him hitting her. Right, but they should still. I I know from what I what I've gleaned of you know advertising and and talking to people who who are in these type of fields is that uh, they do have the resources available and they can put people in touch with them. And that was something we didn't see in the comic. Yeah, and I don't know if they cut it out for brevity or if they, you know, she if she would have just refused them. But I think even adding like one one or two panels where they try try and give her those resources and she shuts them down or just, you know, drops them in the snow or what have you would have been, one, it would have been even more impactful for the scene. And two, would have, you know, at least shown them doing their jobs as police. Right. And and the other aspect of this that, that really bothered me is when Nightwing took it on himself to scare that man away, um, it seems like this could blow up on, on him in a number of ways. Guy could pull a gun, guy could pull a knife, guy could, you know, go back and abuse his wife some more. Yeah, I wasn't even thinking in regards to Nightwing safety, but more that, like, he could return to the house and be even more mad with her because another thing happened that he blames her for or if he did actually just run away and never come back she's left at the house wondering where he is and when is he going to come back and what happened and and she has a baby so i mean you know and i i can't obviously this is a little bit of speculation on my behalf but one of the things that abusers do is they aside from just the physical abuse they completely take away financial independence so any means of financial independence they take away any uh, support net of friends, so it's very likely that this that she has no money, she has no means of getting money, she has no one she can turn to. Right, a- and that that troubled me just the way that they they depicted this in the story. I mean, you know, I I grew up in a an abusive relationship, so I'm, I've seen this stuff before. So seeing this is like, oh, this made my skin crawl. One, but two, like, oh yeah, good job, Nightwing. You scared him away. Everything's fixed now. No, that's that's complete crap. Yeah, uh, it's unfortunate. I, I I don't know if it's maybe a, a sign of the times because this was written in 2001, so maybe the uh, social awareness wasn't as high as it is now uh, for those type of things. But, I mean, this is we're talking 2001. We're not talking 1961. Right. So, you know, there's, it's totally, it should still be a very aware thing. I guarantee the women's help hotline has been going well before then. I guarantee there's been women's abuse shelters well before this point. The fact, it just seems like lazy writing and just completely, complete crap, honestly, because he scared the guy away and there's no aftercare. There's no, you know, checking up on her, making sure she's doing all right. There's no, nothing. He just good job hero he pats himself on the back and he's away yeah there's no checking up yeah that's a very good point like that would have even been something something and you know just a panel of two panel or two of him looking in and seeing that the guy hadn't returned or something i mean anything would have been better than than what we got depicted yeah it's just extremely poor depiction on both sides of that uh both as officer grayson and as nightwing bad show dick bad show all right, well, let's move on to the good things then. I think we've uh, expressed our disappointment <laughs> with that. beat that horse. Um, uh, so the good things are things that John and I particularly liked, uh, things we thought were great shows for the comic or great contributing things that really enhanced the story for us. 
The first one that, that I saw was uh, Barbara and Dick's relationship. Now, I think it's very clear that they are in a relationship now. Uh, it was kind of off and on or playful or what have you before this, but I think the, the what we got depicted in this story makes it very clear that they are in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Yes, it is very clear, very uh, on the nose, which is good because, as you said, John, this is something that's been kind of on again, off again. Will they, won't they? Night or Robin and and Batgirl slash Nightwing and Batgirl. Then the whole Nightwing thing with the Huntress during No Man's Land, which wasn't that long ago. Right. I guess she's forgiven him for that. Yeah. I mean, you know, and that was kind of sort of not really uh, uh, something he needed to be forgiven for necessarily. But you know, she's oh, she's willing to accept that part of his history. I guess. Yeah, I suppose it depends. I was thinking more like she's she's not holding that against him. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Not necessarily forgiving him for any indiscretion because, like you said, they weren't really dating at the time, so he was free to date Huntress. But uh, she's she's moved past it, which is something we don't always see with characters. Yeah, and it's, it's definitely a good thing. It's showing growth of both their characters there and uh, Nightwing taking more responsibility as a boyfriend, her taking, you know, not just being Oracle, now she's got a boyfriend, she's got a, a healthy relationship. Given what's happened to her in the past, it's definitely a growing moment for her character. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see how this goes going forward. Yeah. So the next thing we have is is the continuation of Nightwing's overall story. Now there's a number of things here, as we mentioned, the Barbara and Dick going into a relationship. But also there's in this story, there's a shrinking of Nightwing's rogues gallery. And this this one... I, isn't really a good thing, but I think the continuation of Nightwing's overall story is a good thing, so I, I included it in here was where it would fit. Um, we see Stallion, Electrocutioner, Brutal, and Lady Vic all potentially killed by Shrike. I don't, I don't think Lady Vic was killed, but she's definitely incapacitated. Okay. The other ones, I'm, I'm pretty certain, were murderized. Like, I, I think he... It's a little open-ended on a couple of them. That's why I say potentially, but for yeah. sure, um, Stallion was killed. Yeah, Stallion was definitely... I think he took his head off, didn't he? Or he, like, slit his throat? I think he slit his throat. And that's a shame. Like, Stallion, eh, he was kind of a crap hero, or a villain. Brutal, I kind of liked as a villain, but he's dead. Pretty sure he got killed. Yeah, and I mean, this is some. This is kind of going back to something we talked about in the previous Nightwing, or the first Nightwing that we did, about... Him having a mixture of his own rogues, which were these people, and then reuse night uh, reuse Batman villains uh, that he has a history with, like Two Face, Penguin, um, Amygdala, stuff like that. So to take away a bunch of his rogues and only replace him with one Shrike, uh, I feel like that's doing a disservice to the character and keeping him as his own hero. Yeah, we really want to see Nightwing. I know this is an older story, but we both really want to see Nightwing become on his own. You know, having ties back to Batman and maybe some Batman villains or Batman or villains we initially saw in Batman, you know, making their way into the Nightwing story would be fine. But it's just when you kill off the guy's rogues gallery, it's really making him reliant on those old villains and old stories that are rehashes or, you know, retelling of uh, same story in a different way. So I'd, I really wish they wouldn't have killed off. You know, like I said, I really don't care for Stallion. I thought he was kind of crap. But for Brutal, for example, I thought, OK, yeah, that was pretty good villain that's very very cool kind of crazy villain so yeah and the little bit we've seen of him i i enjoyed brutal and lady vic and uh electrocutioner i we hadn't seen a whole lot of in what no. we've been covering but just to have them available gives the writer or writers something to work with and now they have less to work with yeah so i i'd like to think or hope that they create new villains for him because let's face it bloodhaven is a great place to have villains 
it's very populous with bad elements. It could you could easily come up with some good villains to, that are Bloodhaven centric and Bloodhaven only. But yeah, it seems like they're more interested in, in tying Nightwing back to Batman, and maybe that's to increase his popularity or try and you know uh, popular popularity by association type deal. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, the the. Inter- cross interaction with Batman and Oracle and a f- and other Bat Family characters is good, but also we want to continue to see him have his own stories here in Bloodhaven that don't necessarily include the rest of the Bat Family, uh, except for Barbara, because you know that's that's kind of a character that's a tying bind, and that's re- especially with what we're seeing of the relationship evolving here. Yeah, she she tends to go between all of the stories, which I think is good. Yeah, it's like a central core element uh, to the the universe. Batman, Birds of Prey, Nightwing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, speaking of of Dick, uh, Grayson was made a full cop in this story and immediately added to the good cop club. Yeah, I mean, we know that that someone is pulling strings here. Like, we saw that early on when we we picked up... I don't remember which Nightwing... I think that was in Big Guns. It, it might have been Big Guns. You're probably right. But it's... uh, You know, we saw him become... Someone was pulling strings. Someone was, you know, making sure he advanced. So that, that does tie back to an, a previous story, which is nice to have that cont- continuity. But I do have to worry if it's uh, moving too fast. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with that uh, um, worry because it seemed... Like, they, they could have dr- stretched this out a little bit more, although uh, we haven't seen what's to come after this, so maybe the stories that come after this are really good, and we'll be glad they, they moved this fast. Uh, but it just seems like you could have told some more stories of of Dick as a cop without immediately putting him onto the, the good side versus the bad side. Yeah, and it, it seems like he has moved over to the good side pretty dang quick, and, and they even mentioned that Ames had had someone that she tried to bring into the good cop club who ended up being a corrupt cop. So it, you'd think she'd be a little more cautious, especially after she, you know, even though he was unconvincing in his acting, she asks, asks him about taking a bribe and he hesitantly agrees, you know, who gets hurt, who who does it hurt. But Yeah, it seems to me if you're that bad at hiding which side you're on, maybe you don't want to put them into the secret club uh, where they have to hide from the bad cops. Yeah, it, it seems like that's just a, a rookie mistake or something on her behalf. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how it goes along. I mean, we, we kind of knew that this is where Dick was headed. Um, it's just a matter of time as to when they got there, and they chose to do it earlier rather than later. And like you said, this is something where we're we're discovering these books, we're reading these books a lot of the time for the first time. So we don't know whether this is going to be something that comes out and we're, we're super glad they progressed it because it really moved the character along and really moved some awesome stories into play but from what we've seen just now just this arc it is a little too fast now speaking of something that's not too fast we do have Soames and Ryerstead's story within the prison that seems to go at a rather leisurely pace of progressing their attempt to get out of prison and become uh, more prominent villains for Nightwing that are Nightwing exclusive I really like the fact that it didn't feel rushed or at a fast pace it felt like this is things they're in a prison they're in a a bubble so they have to operate in a bubble and they even while you know uh what what prison is it they're in i don't remember it's not blackgate i don't think no it's a prison in bloodhaven i don't know that we got the name in this story the bloodhaven prison you know i know there's corrupt cops i know they have means to getting things in and out blah 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 
but it felt like, yeah, they're trying to operate in a bubble, so they have to be very cautious with what they do. They have to move at a pace that is, you know, they're constantly being watched at some form or another by police. So, I don't know, that, it felt appropriately paced, even though, yeah, it feels like it was at a very slow pace, but that felt right for that. Yeah, it was a nice balance to some of the other things moving faster in this story. So, it'll be interesting to see when their plan comes to fruition and they escape um, what kind of story we get with it. looks like they're teaming up Soames and Ryerstad, which uh, we had seen both of them individually going into this. It'll be interesting to see how they work together. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I mean, we know that uh, Soames has ties to the Church of Crime, I think it was. So, and that's where in Big Guns, that's where he got his big gun. Uh, wasn't that Intergang? Or Intergang, which is has ties to the Church of Crime, I think. Okay. I'm trying to remember. I know they have uh, ties back to Apocalypse. So, you know, comic books. So, <laughs> And it'll be interesting also to see Ryerstad become an actual full-fledged villain because he was kind of a uh, vigilante who made a mistake and then it kind of snowballed into this thing where now he's in prison and hates Nightwing for putting him in prison. And so it'll be interesting to see how that character changes going forward. And remember, Soames still kind of thinks of himself as a good guy too. So they're both bad guys who think they're the good guys. Yeah, which I know is some of your favorite type of uh, is. <laughs> characters. Um, we'll move on to our, our other points here. Um, there were multiple stories in this trade, and, and the reason this isn't other is I think you had more of a problem with this than I did. Yeah, for me, I mean, we had a Catwoman. Uh, the first issue in the trade was a Catwoman story. We had the Ming drug trade single. We had the Grayson as a cop single, and we had the Shrike multi-issue story. So you had a whole lot of things going on. The Catwoman story just felt like it went nowhere. It felt completely out of place and completely broke the flow. The main drugs trade single, I could, I could, I, I could try to argue my way into that story being part, uh, being fitting in so much that it's showing the lack of motivation by all aspects of the Bloodhaven PD to actually do away with criminals instead, completely content to just take a, take down lower elements, lower echelons of their of the criminal element. Because it looks good on them, and they don't actually have to do much work. But other than that, I don't know. It just felt out of place. It did. I will say the Ming story did uh, did uh, wrap up some loose ends, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. I I didn't like that. It uh, there were stories that just completely broke the flow and broke the uh, the the. F- it, it took me out. It, it it unimmersed me into the story. Well, for what we do, where we cover trades and and complete stories, yeah, it is a little bit difficult on us when we have these single-issue stories. But as a regular reader of a title, I like occasionally having some single-issue stories that, that just kind of give you a break between the, the longer stories that that the, the character is involved in. See, I, I'd be more comfortable with those happening at the end of other stories or between big story arcs. So the Catwoman one happened right at the end of Big Guns, because uh, that was the last Nightwing we covered, and it was just before the Nightwing tie-in with Officer Down, which we didn't cover in this episode because we covered it in the Officer Down episode. So I can see that one fitting in where it did because they knew one issue from that, they had to do the Officer Down, and they didn't want to break up a Nightwing story with that, and so they started the next story after Officer Down, which was the Shrike story. And then the two... Other singles were after that between that story and whatever the next Nightwing story is. So does that make it better? Not really. I mean, I think they could have, 
you know, really, how many of the issues is what a ten issue arc or nine issue arc? Uh, seven, seven issue arc. So, oh, I was way off. <laughs> it was a nine issue or seven issue arc, and like three of those issues had nothing to do with the the overarching story. So almost half. And I mean, th- then why why include them in the trade? I don't know. It just seemed like it, it was poorly planned as far as the release goes. Yeah, I I can understand that, but also uh, as a person, if I was shopping for trades. And I see, oh, this trade is issues 46 to 51. Next trade is issues 55 to 60. I'm like, well, what happened in those issues in between? I, I kind of feel like you got to include those issues in the trades for people who pick up trades. But you're right. as If you're reading it by the trade, it can be a little um, disjarring to have just a bunch of single stories in a trade. I, I think it's more geared toward the, the single issue readers and... I think it's a tough balance, and I think it's something we aren't seeing much of in current um, publishing. A lot of companies, DC and Marvel and some of the other companies included, are writing to the trade. So they write everything in five or six issue arcs so that it can be put out in a cohesive trade. And while that's nice, uh, some people want single issues, and some people are annoyed that if you buy a single issue, it's, oh, well, this is the first story in a in a six-issue story, or this is a middle story in a six-issue story, so now I have to get the rest. And, you know, and I know this was a bigger problem in the late 90s, early 2000s, at least, you know, when I was coming up in comic books, where it would, re- there were references all over the place. Just about every other page had a reference to another book, and not necessarily in the series, but you're, you're reading an X-Men, read X-Force number 317, this uh, see to see what happens next. Go go get Cable and Deadpool seventeen to see what happens on this page. Go go grab uh, Avengers Initiative two sixteen. You know, it's it's just a constant like okay. Now to actually get the story, I have to go reach out across multiple books to understand what's going on. And that's more annoying in my my book at least. Yeah, the Officer Down story was one like that, but at least with those they were all published in the same month, so you yeah. didn't have to to wait on them and remember which one you had to go get. You could go grab all of them if you if you got the right week. I don't know if they were all published <laughs> in the same week, but if you got the right week, you could pick up the entire story across those seven titles. Yeah, I think that's kind of cool. I, all right. So, I think that uh concludes our discussion points. So, John, won't you go ahead and give us a rating? As much as I like the single issues, it did make this a little bit difficult to get into, um, minus obviously the one section that was uh, was serialized with the four Shrike uh, issues. And then um, the issues we had with our bad point in, in the episode also kind of detracted a little bit to me even from that. Um, I thought it was a little bit better than average, so I would have to say a three out of five batterings. Um, it does progress the Nightwing story quite a bit. So if, if that's what you're interested in, in uh, reading, then I would recommend pick it up. If you're just looking for a good, complete story to read, not so much this one. Yeah. I'm in the same boat as you, man. Uh, pretty much the exact same thing you said. I went a little harder on it at 2.5 out of 5 batterings. But yeah, I mean, for the middling, it's not horrible. But it's not a good story arc. It's not a great story arc. It doesn't really, while it does advance the uh, Nightwing story, it does feel kind of middling and like it doesn't, even though it advances the story, it doesn't really go anywhere. I don't know. I, I, I didn't enjoy it as much. But yeah, so two and a half batterings out of five. 
All right, so that gives our overall rating as two and a half out of five batterings for this trade. So uh, please leave any feedback you have for the episode or us on the episode page at thebatmanuniverse.net. And be sure to check out all the other offerings at thebatmanuniverse.net. There are a myriad of other podcasts, including the Comics Cast, where they cover the current Batman comics, Batfans, Batgirl to Oracle, and Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake. Uh, while there, you can also read some reviews of recent comics and get your Batman news from television, film, and video games. If you like what we have to say and would like to hear more of us on a wider topic of things, including movies and various comic book arcs, please check out our other pod- project, Arc Reactions Podcast, which can be found at arcreactionspodcast.blogspot.com. And we will be back with our next story, which is going to cover Robin's Secrets Revealed and Birds of Prey, The Big Romance. Those are two single issues that have some uh, far-reaching continuity uh, pieces in them. Yeah. So, guys getting a double issue there. So, guys, we're going to go ahead and do the credits. Uh, this was Nightwing 52, 54 through 60, which ran February to October 2001. The writer was Chuck Dixon. Artist was Greg Land for 52, 54, 55, and 56. Rick Leonardi at 57 and 59, Mike Lilly for 58, and Trevor McCarthy at 60. And the editor was Michael Wright. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, please do leave us some feedback.